0: Welcome to Raiders of the Lost podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we discuss Leonardo DiCaprio. Hello movie friends welcome back to the show. This is Anthony and this is James. Today we're going to be covering Leonardo DiCaprio and going through his entire career. This is an actor spotlight on one of the best to ever do it. We love Leo and I think he's the consummate actor and movie star where he has this combination of incredible star power with unbelievable talent. He can literally do anything. And I think that the entire world has always been infatuated with him since Titanic. And it's one thing to just be a star, but it's also another thing to be one of the greatest actors already at the young age he's at i think he's in his early 40s right now so he's already done so no, he's m- like 50 is he 50 yeah. oh wow he just looks great yeah he's got great hair <laughs> <laughs> but he is uh, clearly without a doubt one of the best to ever do it yeah He was born november eleventh, nineteen 1974 he's almost 50 almost wow he's getting up there man and he's still dating like 22 year olds good for him <laughs> but um <laughs> whatever makes him happy <laughs> but leonardo dicaprio he might be maybe the last movie star and i know a lot of people They think the word movie star applies to a lot of actors out there, but it's kind of like a dead term in terms of there aren't really new ones anymore. And when we mean movie star, we mean like global, massive celebrity talent actor, like Tom Cruise is a movie star. He might be one of the last ones. Leonardo DiCaprio. Brad Pitt, you could probably say, is one of the final movie stars. So there are very few people who actually nowadays fall into that category because I think there's so much content, so many movies, so many big actors with social media and everything. But, like, Leo is, like, the guy of this of this century. Yeah, and ever since he was in Titanic, that's that catapulted him into global superstardom. It was, like... When We were young when it came out. He was, like, bigger than Justin Bieber ever was. He, on a global scale, everyone knew who Leonardo DiCaprio was. It was the biggest movie at the time that had ever come out. He was on the face of every magazine. He was the most desired person to, like, want to be or be like at that time. Mm -hmm. And he was just a, a magnetic character actor and just... A huge star And I can't think of it Happening that big For anyone since You could say Maybe Justin Bieber Or maybe Like um, Ariana Grande Or they are like singers that. it's yeah, different they're yeah. pop stars yeah but the, yeah there's something different about an actor hitting that global phenomenon level that has really happened in the last 20 years and you could probably say that it was paired with romeo and juliet came out the year before so that movie was very successful and captured the hearts of so many teens around the world yeah that movie made 180 million and then you know everyone fell in love with leonardo dicaprio in that movie and then titanic comes out and boom biggest movie of all time And this kid was like 21 22 at the time and mm. Turned into the biggest heartthrob to ever exist in terms of in Hollywood. He actually beat out Ethan Hawke for that role. I'm sure e- he, yeah. Ethan Hawke was like the number two. And then Paul Rudd was also in the running for it. Paul Rudd? Yeah. I guess you could have seen that. Ethan Hawke I could see definitely doing that because Ethan is yeah. a very similar great but, actor. Uh, but I read that uh, every actor in Hollywood wanted Titanic. And then when Leo got it, they all hated him for it. Well, you can tell that Leo, his entire career, he had such immense talent at a young age that he probably beat out so many people in so many roles. Like, look at what's Eating Geller Grape. Like, that is such a phenomenal performance. Well, um, Joaquin Phoenix in his uh, in his, I believe was either his Golden Globe or Oscar acceptance speech, he said that when he was up and coming, he he and a bunch of other actors who are very well known nowadays, they would always go on these auditions when they were in their teens and early twenties, and and they would always like. Go on this on these auditions for big movies and these big roles, and then they would always um, never hear back from the casting director and never get the roles. And then someone would say, "It was Leonardo, it was Leo. Do you know Leo?" <laughs> and then they're like, "Who's Leonardo?" <laughs> so I, Leonardo, I think definitely he was able to get all of the the he got the the best choices of roles. I think after Titanic, he got the best ones. Well, you could probably say that after not after Titanic, but I would Gilbert say Great, maybe. No, I would say that starting with Catch Me If You Can, the guy never made a bad movie ever again. He made only re- pretty much great movies ever since that point because after Titanic, he did have a couple bombs. Like, The Beach was a bomb. Don's Plum was not even supposed to be a movie. No, no, The Beach made $150 million. No, yeah, I know, but I-, I wouldn't say bo- All right, financially not a bomb, but critically destroyed. Yeah, the, it's, a, it's not a good movie. And then um, the Celebrity wasn't a super popular film. That was a, a Woody Allen film. Well, he has, it's a cameo. Yeah. He's, he's in it for five minutes. But, but, I mean, starting with, like, in 2002, the guy's career was... Was it's been impeccable ever since, and that's 2002. He did Gangs of New York and Catch Me If You Can. But even if even, but the thing with Leo, what makes him so great is he understands how important it has to have a great director at the helm of a movie. He only works with the best directors possible, and even The Beach, it's Danny Boyle. Like, yeah. You're not gonna say no to Danny Boyle coming off of Train Spotting. Even though the movie The Beach didn't work out, he just did train spotting. Like you, you gonna you gonna work with him, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And he even turned down American Psycho to do the, the Beach. So I, and like you said, like Catch Me If You Can. But also, you know, Romeo and Juliet, uh, Boz Lerman, great director. You know, Titanic, obviously James Cameron. I can't remember who made The Man in the Iron Mask, which was in between Titanic and The Beach, but uh, that was an okay movie. But also, that he was already he already had such amount of star power because of Titanic. The Man in the Iron Mask made almost two hundred million dollars, and the 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 studio researched who the audience was that went to see it. It was all it, it over; the majority of the audience was under twenty five. So all these young people went to go see The Man in the Iron Mask because he was such a gigantic star. So, um, Leo's star power, I think, is second to none. Honestly, in terms of the history of film, because he, you could say, he is the king of the box office, and all of his movies since Romeo and Juliet. Leo's movies have averaged $382 million. Each film. That's insane. The average. So, and he's not in superhero movies and not in franchise movies. He's never going to be a superhero. That's what I love about him. Doesn't do sequels. He has that pull at the box office, though, that no matter what he's in, people go see it. Even if it's Revolutionary Road, him and Kate Winslet Mm -hmm. arguing for two hours, that still almost made $100 million. Like- he has this unbelievable magnetism about him that people go see his movies, and it's it never fails. And before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast is to share us with your family and friends and become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast. Patrons get perks like personalized videos, podcast schedules for upcoming episodes so you know what to watch ahead of time. Top tier patrons get patrons get a monthly shout out on the podcast. And the best perk of all is every single patron, $2, $5, $10 tier. It doesn't matter. You get access. Us to all of our content, which means our weekly bonus episodes of the show, which posts every Tuesday on Patreon slash Raiders of the Lost podcast. Um, head on over to our website, RaidersTheLossPodcast.com to check out all of our sources of content, our merch, our custom movie posters. Follow, subscribe, wherever you're listening. Hit the notification bell. And thank you so much for tuning in. Randy Wallace directed The Man the Iron Mask. Thank and you. same thing with The Beach. I mean, that move, that was a $40 million budget, $150 million box office because Leonardo DiCaprio was in the movie coming off Titanic. Yeah, and just, I mean, here's the list of directors that he has worked with. I mean, obviously Scorsese, most famously, but Steven Spielberg, Boz Lerman, James Cameron, Danny Boyle, Uh, Let's see, Edward Zwick, Ridley Scott, Sam Mendes, Clint Eastwood, Quentin Tarantino, uh, Alejandra Iñárritu. And then obviously, uh, you don't work with Quentin Tarantino twice and Martin Scorsese six times if you aren't as talented as, as he is. Like, There's a reason why Scorsese keeps putting him in his movies because he's probably the best actor working around today. Yeah, and since 2019, or as of 2019, his films have grossed $7.2 billion worldwide, and he placed eight times in the annual rankings of world's highest paid actors throughout his career. So he's very lucrative property for whatever studio puts him in a role, and he has one Oscar, which he won for The Revenant and another five acting nomination Oscars besides that. And he began his career working in television commercials in the 1980s and the early 90s, had some recurring roles on sitcoms like Parenthood. And then you could say that he got his first break when he was on Growing Pains as a a recurring character in that show. And then, but he was still just a kid, but then- It's Critters 3 is the big breakout. The Critters 3, (laughs) but you could say he'd only been acting for like, what, a year and he was in Critters 3. He's the lead character in that movie, legendary film (laughs) (laughs) and then um he's all but then he was in the this boy's life with robert de niro at in 1993 so he's a kid he's working with bobby de niro the best of all time probably yeah and it's a really great movie and he is fantastic like there's the scenes between him and de niro they get really intense, especially that scene with the mustard, you know, when, when he uh, he throws out the mustard can and the jar and De Niro's like, did you throw this out? Like, is there mustard in there? And he, like, rubs it all over his they, face. Is there mustard yeah. left in there? Yeah, It's an unbelievable scene. and But the relationship between those two characters is so intense, especially for an uh, actor that young. And he showed, like you said, how incredibly talented he is, how much natural talent he had. Like, you're going opposite – probably the best actor of all time and he's holding his own in every scene like that's incredible yeah so again young talent or immense talent at such a young age and like you said he only works with great directors and also some other things that Leo does throughout his career help I think enhance his legacy and help have helped him create probably the best filmography in the 21st century of any actor out there and so besides working with great directors. He doesn't do superhero movies, even though he's been offered like Spider-Man and stuff like that. He seldom does ensemble movies. You could probably say the only one he's ever done is Inception. And Django. And maybe Yeah, Django. Because he's supporting. And then maybe the yeah, uh, Man in the Iron Mask, I guess you could say that's kind of an ensemble, because that's a Three Musketeers but movie. I, but not in 21st century, so that doesn't count. Okay, yeah, you're right. Uh, he also seldom plays a villain. Only a, f- a handful of times, really, and he's only done sci-fi once, which is kind of odd if you think about it. I think that's all I could count on his filmography. Yeah, so it's the only sci-fi. So seen. he kind of has these rules that he plays by in terms of what selection he, he makes as an actor. But obviously, working with Martin Scorsese seems to be a priority for him in his life in his career. I, well, I believe he and Scorsese are so close; it's because it is like a father and son relationship. He, I think he calls him like a, a serious father figure in his life, and it's like who wouldn't want to be in a Martin Scorsese movie every chance they got he's probably he's the best director of all time and you get to work with him six times it's unbelievable and they probably have such a close-knit working relationship. It's, it's a fantastic collaboration. And and they have made some of the best movies of the 21st century. And it's astounding what they've done. And they're probably going to make a few more movies, too, after they're Killers. Film, yeah, and they're filming one right now. Yeah. And Leo, you know, he's very big into activism and philanthropy, which you love to see for someone who has such an immense following, not just at the box office, but social media-wise. For actors, he's got a ton of followers and everything like that. So he's really big on climate change. He's actually, pr- actually produced... He has 46 producer credits, and the majority of those are on documentaries. So the guy has made a ton of documentaries, financed a ton of documentaries, got them made and everything. So he does the voice for a lot of them. And... um. He's turned down a lot of really big roles like Spider-Man 1, which Tobey Maguire did. American Psycho, obviously. Hocus Pocus. Batman Forever. Boogie Nights. Star Wars Attack of the Clones. He was offered to play Anakin. Sin City was offered a role in that. But there's a role that I've been dying for him to see that's kind of been out there lingering for a while in Hollywood that Martin Scorsese is attached to. Two is the H.H. H. Ohms film which i think is going to be turned into a miniseries which is this horrific serial killer that had like the the murder mansion hotel sort of thing and so they've been trying to make that for years so it'd be incredible if him and scorsese could come together and finally get financing for that they have gotten financing it was they were trying to make it a movie but it was going to be over 100 million dollars and no studio wanted to fund it because it's a very dark movie and it's going to be a hard r but i believe if i'm correct i believe it was netflix that gave them the money they needed Hopefully, so we'll it, see. But, but I think it's, it's, it's going to be a mini series. It's going to be a mini which it will be the first time uh, Leo's done a TV series since the '90s when yeah. he was a kid. But you're you're right. His his choice of movies are are impeccable in the 21st century, and he doesn't make that many movies. He's not Daniel Day Lewis, where he makes. A movie every six years, but he's only making a movie maybe once a year, maybe every couple of years. And he even took a a massive break after The Revenant. He didn't. He took a four year break until he did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And and even now, it's been three years since that movie came out. Now he's making his next movie. Mm -hmm. So I think he's at a point where he probably has a lot of stuff that he likes to do other than acting. And also, he's made enough money. He doesn't have to be in as many movies as possible. And so he probably only wants to do the projects that he's super passionate about and only works, wants to work with directors he's he's very passionate about. Oh, and don't forget, Don't Look Up is coming out this year, which is in post-production right now. So he filmed that this year. What, what is that? That's the Adam McKay film where he stars Oh, yeah, with, with uh, Jennifer J. Law. Yeah. yeah, so it's a, that's actually got a crazy I'm excited, cast. I'm excited. For, that cast is insane. Yeah, it's nuts. It's wild. But um, let's get into his filmography, starting with Critters 3 in 1991, <laughs> which was director director <laughs> video The best Critters. Probably, it's <laughs> probably the best movie in his filmography, arguably. <laughs> (laughs) I would say either that or Inception. I mean, he he probably peaked in 1991 with this film, and it's about (laughs) these tiny furball aliens that will eat anything or anyone they set their sights on. In a Los Angeles apartment tower. <laughs> but again, I believe, I believe Jennifer Aniston was in the first Critters. I think so too. Yeah. But again, he's like a year into acting or something like that, and he's already starring in a franchise film, which you could say is very impressive for such a young kid. Yeah, it's not bad. And then uh, Poison Ivy in 1992. I don't think he I don't even, know what that is. He just barely has a credit in that. But then yeah. 1993 is This Boy's Life. He plays Tobias Toby Wolf, and this is a really intense film because it tells the story about this relationship between a rebellious 1950s teenager and his abusive stepfather so he's basically forced to by his mother to go live Then go live with this man who seems okay at first he's kind of seems like he's got these odd quirky behaviors but then they learn real quickly that he's a very abusive man very intense very dominating and it's you it's a very dark character for de niro people who say he does the same thing every time like watch a movie like this and you're like wow he has that that rage you haven't seen it since raging bull It's the same thing with Scorsese. Like I think a lot of people think they Scorsese only makes gangster movies. He's made way more non-gangster films than he's made gangster movies. De Niro plays the same character. Pacino plays the same character. You know, not everyone is Daniel Day Lewis where they transform into a different person. Most actors, you know, they're still that human being. It's still Robert De Niro playing a character if he was this guy instead. So obviously they're going to bring some of their personality traits to every single character, pass like carrying over into each role. But still, it's. He's still one of the greatest actors of all time. Come oh, on. yeah, yeah, He does not play the same role every time. 100%, and like we said earlier, Di- um, DiCaprio really held his own in this movie, and he's he's only been acting at this point for maybe a couple of years. Like, he does a couple of TV guest spots, these directed dvd direct-to-video movies, and then he's with Robert De Niro, and that's insane. And actually, his performance in This Boy's Life, after working with him, Robert De Niro, De Niro Talked talk to Martin Scorsese and was like, "Hey, you have to keep an eye on this kid I just worked with. Um, his name is Leonardo DiCaprio. Keep an eye on him. He's he's insanely talented. You gotta you gotta watch it. Watch out for him." So, this was a moment where. Scorsese had heard about him through De Niro after working with him. It's insane Yeah, and so but Leo just seems like such a smart guy and was probably a very smart kid where he was just a sponge and What better environment to be in than around Robert De Niro on set and watching him prepare for just These scenes where even though you're a kid and De Niro is like in this film and he's playing a character That's untypical, that's not typical for him. He still gives it a hundred percent because he's De Niro and then in 1993 Leonardo DiCaprio co-starred in a film called What's Eating Gilbert Grape opposite Johnny Depp. And he play, it's about a young man in a small Midwestern town who struggles to care for his mentally disabled younger brother played by Leo and morbidly obese mother while attempting to pursue his own happiness. And Leo was only about 16 at the time of filming. I thought – I think he was 19. When well, was he born again? He was born in, in 1974. So he's 19. Okay but okay but filming he's probably 18 yeah probably okay, 18. I was wrong. yeah but still this performance he got say an oscar that again nom- you were wrong i was wrong i was 100- <laughs> 100 he's <Anthony's> just like <laughs> rubbing his like head like yes yeah, say it again it's <laughs> <Slower. laughs> but again leo's not 18 years old 19 filming this movie he gets an oscar nomination and this is one of the greatest performances you'll see from a young actor of that age he gives everything that the physical acting in this role it seems like someone who's a seasoned vet on, on hollywood he was so convincing as a, a mentally handicapped person that he at the premiere of the movie many of the people there and a lot of the fans of the movie thought that he really was mentally handicapped in real life and they were surprised to find that that he wasn't And his performance in this is it's so dramatic and emotional because his character you know it causes a lot of trouble and stress for his brother specifically because Johnny Depp's character—he really wants to do his own thing in his life, but he's held back by his mother, who he has to care for, and his his younger brother. It's like Coda, who yeah, exactly like Coda, the film that's coming out from, Sound, from Sundance. It's just really emotional to watch this to watch this character like go through these intense beats in life with his brother, but also what happens to his mother towards the end of the film. It's it's an amazing performance, and you can already see the the brilliant performing that he has, and how much dedication he has to character, and how he, much of an understanding he has to. The character traits that enable great performance, like, for example, he improvised the, the nose flicking. And the nose flicking is something that Arnie does all the time. It's like a, a tick that he has where he just, like, flicks his nose. And DiCaprio came up with that. And that's something that not a lot of young actors are able to to come up with things like that where they instill these act these actions and these behaviors into the character that's not already written on the page. So you can already tell with this movie... How incredible of, uh, you know, it's kind of a form of writing when you're creating a character. You're also writing what you see in the character. And so you could say it's a form of writing for him creatively. Absolutely. Then in 1995, Leo starred in The Basketball Diaries, which is a very underrated high school drama. And this is a true story, right? Based on this character. uh, This person, Jim Carroll, who's a teenager who was, you know, a high school basketball star, but... Then got into a world of drugs but i was also a writer at the same time but it basically it tells about that story and that lifestyle of him and the other kids at school and like the character played by Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg Mark. kid, he's in this he's a bad kid in I'm, this movie. Yeah, I think it's one of his first movies. It might be it might yeah. be his number first first movie. Coming out of prison and yeah. post <laughs> post rap career, basketball diaries, Calvin Klein, For Marky real. Mark. That dude was blown up too. But um it's a really emotional ride and anyone that has any experience with addiction, this is a must watch because it's incredibly relevant. Yeah, I mean it's tough to to pull off addiction to portray it accurately and especially if you don't have you know any familiarity with it in real life it's it's kind of hard to really make it authentic but being the talent that he is he he really pulls off you know this junkie this person who's desperate and and it gets to such a low point in his life and it's a incredibly dramatic role i mean this is something that he was nominated for gilbert great but he i think he definitely should have possibly gotten nominated for lead actor for this at this young age but I think they he was overlooked maybe because of how I don't know maybe the movie itself isn't that great of a movie Mm -hmm. possibly sometimes a movie if it's not amazing but the performances are the performances can kind of be forgotten yeah and so I I think that's a situation like that yeah but all in all it's an excellent movie and he's fantastic and and Wahlberg showed also he doesn't have obviously the same talent as Leo but he shows that he is a capable actor for sure yeah absolutely in 1995, he also starred in The Quick and the Dead. He doesn't have a huge role in this film, but it's this, it's a fun western that was like kind of just like a shot in the dark, you could say. It's about this female gunfighter who returns to a frontier town where a dueling tournament is being held, which she enters in an effort to avenge her father's death. It's a lot of fun, and there's yeah. like Gene Hackman, Sharon yeah. Stone, Russell Crowe's in it's it. It's a very yeah. tense film, like lots of tension throughout the entire thing. It's but pretty it, cool. It's a stacked cast. Yeah. These are like the biggest actors working at the time, mm-hmm. and he's in it as well, so it's a big deal. It's like Christian Bale being in those Shakespearean adaptations with the best UK actors. Mm-hmm. It's like you're paying your dues. And then in 1995 he was in Total Eclipse, which is a pretty good movie with um Daniel uh David Thulis, who plays uh, Professor Lupin. Yeah. It's it's kind of like they have a they have a relationship in this it movie. It reminds me very much of Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Yeah, which, but with men. <laughs> yeah, both guys, yeah. So I think Woody <laughs> Allen kind of was inspired by this movie. And then 1996, Leo took the world by storm for the first time with Romeo and Juliet. Playing Romeo in Shakespeare's famous play Which was updated to the hip modern suburb of Verona While still retaining its original dialogue Directed by Baz Luhrmann And Baz, I think he's a fantastic director He's he's had some misfires But he's made some really iconic movies You have Leon the Professional You have The Fifth Element You have this The Great Gatsby was a great adaptation of the film And I think he has so much creativity as a director And the idea to set this Shakespearean story In modern times and update it i think he might have been the first one to do it recently in film i I believe so i can't i think everyone else is pretty loyal to the shakespearean adaptations at the time you're you're probably right i can't think of anything that who else has had a revolver and a shakespeare adaptation yeah i mean it it was brilliant The, the the style of this movie the music, the visuals, the set pieces are super cool. And Leo and Claire Danes have so much chemistry in this. They're fantastic together as the iconic characters. And And I think he did an amazing job in this role, especially with the final speech. That's a hard speech to do. You've seen it done a thousand times. And I think he really carried this movie for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then in 1996, he was in Marvin's room, which is kind of like this. Oh, shoot. I shot Marvin in the face. Uh... <laughs> Marvin's Room and Stars. Meryl Streep also. It actually has a really good cast, and Leo plays this um, fiercely, like rebellious son again. All these rebellious teenagers, which is usually the, the common role for young actors and actresses in Hollywood. It's it's like a family drama. It's very nice. It's pretty good. Meryl Streep is obviously sensational in it too. But I think it it revolves more around Meryl Streep's character and her in her relationship with pretty much everyone in her family. Got it. It's like August. Uh, Osage County, kind of, yeah. yeah. And then 1997, the he big play, one. He plays. The big one. He plays. What was that? <laughs> he plays Jack Dawson in Titanic, and we've all seen this movie. It won 11 Oscars. He didn't get nominated though, but it still won 11 Oscars, which is absolutely absurd. And you know, James Cameron blew the world up with this movie Titanic, and it became the most successful movie of all time, which held that place until he beat it with Avatar, and the whole world fell in love with. Leonardo DiCaprio and Titanic, like everyone gravitated to this movie. I remember we saw it with our brothers and our mom, and the theater had multiple screens showing it, and you, you there were lines going to e- into each screen, like everybody saw this We saw movie. it twice in theaters. Yeah, every, and a lot of people saw it multiple times, so this is a movie that really, really took over the world by storm. It's still relevant pop culture-wise, but it was a phenomenon. Every, like, pop culture- thing this was referenced in it somehow whether it be music or tv or other films and and news shows and it was just it put leo on like we said a path of superstardom that no one's probably ever seen in terms of a like stratospheric rise to stardom like no one's ever done something like that and his performance as jack is it showed so many of his good qualities especially his charm and charisma and and those things are so intangible that you can only have it naturally like you can't like fake that you know. Likeability, you know what I mean? He, I think he has a great amount of likability in this movie. And so it wasn't just because it was the biggest movie in the world, but people saw how talented he was, how, you know, effortlessly cool he was, how, how charming he was, how charismatic he was. And hair so, goals too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely had the best hair in Hollywood. So I think everyone you know, every girl wanted to be with him and every guy wanted to be him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think that he had this... What? Well, I wanted to be with be with him, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you would have made him very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I would have tried. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in opposite Kate Williams, it's probably one of the greatest love stories that we've ever seen in cinema before. Oh, yeah, it, absolutely. It's got yeah. like that classic love uh relationship story that we'd seen in for decades past in like the 40s, 50s and 60s which kind of like petered out in the 70s and 80s but like in terms of the biggest movie of the year being a love story, you know that was very common in the 40s and 50s and 30s but now this movie brought that back. That's a great point. And also, I mean this is a movie where Kate Winslet and DiCaprio became very close by making this movie and I think they still are very good friends to this day. Oh, like, they're best friends. That, they yeah, they call themselves best friends and I think one of the except re- she, I don't think she was in the pussy posse. No, she wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> she wasn't. She wasn't invited. But um, this is a time when James Cameron even admits to being a horribly tyrannical director and very demanding on set. And so I think that the process of making the movie was very difficult, and he made it even more difficult than it had to be. And so I, 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 it seems as though Winslet and DiCaprio kind of banded together as a way of pulling through the movie, and probably made them very close. Because probably, of that. yeah. yeah. And then in 1998, Leo starred in *The Man in the Iron Mask*. He played King Louis slash Felipe, and it's about the ki- the cruel King Louis the Fourteenth of France has a secret twin brother whom he keeps imprisoned. Can the twin be substituted for the real king? And what's not to love about a Three Musketeers* movie that also stars Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio in two roles? Yeah, yeah, and it's an Alexandre Dumas. Story and it's it's the three Musketeers are in it, but they aren't the 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 leads of the movie. DiCaprio is the lead, and I think that for him being able to play two roles, especially identical twins, I think was really intriguing to him because we're coming off Titanic. You can do whatever you want, like anything. I Pretty think much, that, I think that he wanted to be able to stretch his acting chops in this movie. Yeah, and the cast is awesome. We have John Malkovich and Jeremy Irons, Gerard Depardieu. So it's just a really fun time at the at a movies at yeah. the movies. Yeah, I love the Musketeers; they're yeah. awesome. And then 1998, he was in Celebrity, which was just a small role. 2000 was The Beach. And so he plays Richard in On Vacation in Thailand. Richard sets out for an island rumored to be a solitary beach paradise. And this was, you know, the big, big movie post-Titanic that, Pretty much Leo got this movie greenlit. You know, he chose this script. He wanted to do it. He he connected with the book. Actually, The Beach is based on the novel of the same name, which was written by Alex Garland, who is the writer and director of Ex Machina and Annihilation. So he started as a novelist in the 90s and then a screenwriter and now is a phenomenal director at the same time, too. And this movie, I haven't read the book, but I I hope the book has a lot more to it because the movie, it starts out well. And the first half of the movie, I think, is, is... it's good, but I think that it kind of just tails off into this just like, like lackadaisical conclusion. It's, it's kind of flat. Yeah, pretty flat, especially the third act, and it's pretty underwhelming for what it sets up. And it gets a little, a little too romantic and a little too, a little on the cheesy melodramatic side. Uh, but I think it definitely had so much potential. I'm sure it was better on the page. And Danny Boyle, very creative director, and he did try some cool stuff with this. But I think ultimately it just didn't hit. And, I mean, I, plenty of people saw it, but for me, DiCaprio's great in it, but it's not something I—I've I, watched it a, a few times, and I really don't have any desire to watch it again, honestly. Yeah, it starts off strong. You know, it's about this guy, and he gets this—, this... very intriguing map for the secret island and he finally gets there and he finds out there's a community of people that are secretly living there and then led by tilda swinton is excellent he becomes part of the community then he eventually kind of becomes a leader in the community and then has this relationship with tilda swinton's character and it gets a little odd and like we said it kind of just peters out a little bit towards the end yeah and i would say when he is uh ostracized from the from the community And then he's like living off the land and he becomes very animalistic. That's when the movie really takes a turn for like, really, is this what everything led to? It's kind of like underwhelming. So I would say in terms of movies in the 21st century, this is definitely his one and only misstep for sure. Technically, you know, he filmed it in 1999, I believe. Shut (laughs) up. And then 2001, he starred in Don's Plum, which was not even supposed to be a feature length film. So I guess he improvised it with his friends, so it stars. it's about a group of Los Angeles teenagers who meet every week at their local diner to discuss their latest myths and adventures their miserable lives. It also stars Tobey Maguire and Kevin Connolly. So this was actually also the birth of the infamous Pussy Posse, which, you know, took over the tabloids for 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 many years. And this movie actually cannot be shown commercially in the United States or Canada because of a lawsuit brought by stars Leo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire because this film features a lot of—pretty much the entire thing is improvised— and their characters are just kind of just despicable people so they improvised a lot of terrible mean lines and, and pieces of dialogue which you know when you watch it, it's like oh my god i can't believe leo dicaprio said something like that but again he's, he's acting but still it doesn't make it an enjoyable experience it's not a fun thing to watch so i think that leo, i think that it being improvised is different i think what happened probably was leo and toby were probably taken advantage of by their friend who directed the film and thought like i can make a quick buck off this off this film that I'm making, turn into a feature length, and just like try to build a career off of it. I guess I don't know, but they filed a lawsuit because that's not what they signed up for. Apparently, mm-hmm. it sounds like they were making like their version of Swingers, something like that. But it was supposed yeah. to be a short film. Yeah. It wasn't supposed to be feature length film. Oh. But um, so yeah, you can't you can't watch you can't. I it never even commercial. knew about this it's, at all. It's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cringy thing. And but then in 2002, Leo made Catch Me If You Can. This is the start of the most epic filmography of the two, of the 21st century. He plays Frank Abagnale Jr., who is barely 21. And Frank is a skilled forger who has passed as a doctor, lawyer, a pilot. FBI agent Carl becomes obsessed with tracking down the con man who only re- revels in the pursuit. And this, you know, co-stars with Tom Hanks. This is his first uh, collaboration with Steven Spielberg. We uh, Is it his fourth one up to this point? Third, third acting and in, in fourth. Well, what, was in, producing. what was he in before this? Um, Saving Pride of Ryan and um something else. Leo, hey, Di- C- Leo DiCaprio. Oh, I thought you said Tom Hanks. No, I just said he's oh, co-star. S- sorry. So- sorry. So- we're talking this is a Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> spotlight, okay, pal? Okay, <laughs> man. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio. This is his first time we're working with Steven Spielberg as and, director. And this movie I actually just watched it again on the plane ride home from Boston. How fitting. It was great. I was like, I'm putting on catch me if you can There's no way I'm not watching this. And I've seen this movie a bunch. And Catch Me If You Can, I believe, it could be the one of the one of if not the most underrated movie of all time. It might be. I really think it's one of Spielberg's greatest films. It's it's an absolute masterpiece, and a lot of people don't really know about it. And it didn't get it didn't win anything in terms of awards wise. It got some nominations, but I don't believe it won anything significant. But this movie is really unbelievable, and it's crazy because it's a true story. This guy Frank Abagnale. Did all this stuff by the age of 19, according to him. Yeah. I believe it. All the forging, yeah, but in terms of, like, the other stuff, who knows how much he made up. I believe it. But it's it's he's a a con man. I believe about 60% of it. (laughs) He already conned you. (laughs) Well, the FBI thing is all real. Yeah, I'm talking about, like, the other stuff. Yeah, whatever. He did it all. (laughs) I say he did it all. Continue. But it's it's the thing that's the story's so crazy, but the truth is stranger than fiction kind of scenario where you could write this and people would be like, "There's no way this could be plausible. That's impossible." But, like, this guy really did it, and it's such an interesting character. You're you're a 16-year-old who begins not just forging checks but also impersonating an airline pilot. Like, what a fascinating role this guy was. And then you're impersonating a doctor, and then you're impersonating a lawyer. So, obviously, he's a very precocious person. He also impersonates a French high school teacher. So, Frank Abagnale is a fascinating character, and Catch Me If You Can is one of our— most underrated favorite films to watch we watch this at least once a year we gotta we gotta put it on and i mean john williams score on this movie it might be one of his top five too as well it's very underrated yeah and it has it really has some of the spielberg's best directing examples as well like there's some unbelievable long takes uh fantastic cinematography and i just adore this movie i think leo and tom hanks whenever they're in a scene together is just gold like, remember when he's like, you're going to eat that eclair? I'll, I'll tell you how I passed the bar if you give me half that eclair. And then Tom just, like, shovels the whole thing down his throat. Wait a minute. you got your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on to it. I trust you. <laughs> a couple minutes earlier, you would have had him. <laughs> I, didn't. I, lo- I Anyways, love this movie. We got we to gotta do an episode on it soon. Absolutely. Also in 2002, this is probably why maybe it didn't win any awards and it got it's kind of hidden sort of in his filmography. Gangs of New York came out. What a year. Which was directed by Martin Scorsese. And he plays Amsterdam. 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 1862, (laughs) Amsterdam returns to the Five Points area of New York City seeking revenge against Bill the Butcher, his father's killer. And this is a crazy film. Marty just knocked it out of the park and... Marty what he does is he takes you as a storyteller he really transports you into a different world than every time he makes a movie and this one you feel like you're at the five points and you're in 1862 and like maybe you just got off a bolt you're an immigrant and you're could be knifed down at that corner over there or you're trying to get bread over there it's wild what he created yeah America was a horrible place in cities like this if, if really you are an immigrant terrible. coming into America yeah. in the 1860s holy crap but even for people even for the natives that live yeah. there like everyone it it was a time of, like, great poverty. I believe 94% of the entire population lived in poverty. At probably this time. higher. Yeah, it might have been higher. So it's, it was a difficult living situation. Unless you were wealthy, you were struggling. Not Str- just poverty, but, yeah. ex- like, extreme, extreme unhealth and malnourishment. Yeah. 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 And, and you could probably die any day over something. I, I wonder what the average age of death was at that time. Probably it probably had to be in the 30s. Maybe 30s or 40s at the most. Like It was just a horrible time to be alive. Like We're all very lucky to grow up in the 21st century. Like This is insane what we have compared to, you know, Know, the people that lived at this era, but this movie is so big in scope, and I I love when Scorsese makes period pieces because his filmmaking is suited to the 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 idea of telling these fantastic stories. And you know, working with Danny Day Lewis with DiCaprio, it's it must have been a dream job. You're working with the best actor to ever live and the best director to ever live. And this is a movie, like I said earlier, Scorsese sought out DiCaprio because of robert de niro recommending him and then they met before this movie and he's like i want to make gangs in new york with you and so this this came about because he got this boy's life and so basically leo became the new de niro in his new like best bud making movies with guy instead because de niro you know he's getting old he's probably in his 50s at this point he can't be the leading man in giant hollywood movies now we have the new young movie star who's just as talented as de niro probably in leo and he, he does so much great work as Amsterdam, and, you know, it must have been, probably I would say, I mean, it had to have been his most challenging role, maybe ever, to act alongside Daniel Day Lewis. That must be a daunting as task. As Bill the Butcher. Yeah. I mean, sure, like, Age of Innocence, it's probably not that intimidating, <laughs> but then you're, you're going opposite, you're on set with Bill the Butcher, I'd be like, shit in my pants the whole time. Yeah, it's unbelievable, and he really holds his own, and uh, he, apparently, so, Daniel Day Lewis is a method actor, and he's method offset. He's method for the entire at home time of production. He's always built a butcher at this time. And, and but I, I like how you explained it before, where he knows he's making a movie. Yeah, he, he knows what world he's yeah, living. He in. he knows that there. He's knows there's cameras. He knows that there's electronics around him. That there's modern technology. You know, he, you has, know a, he has. He has a he wife. Has a wife. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has a cell phone. You know, uh, he he understands that he's not like lost his mind to the character, but he just perceives everything. Through that character's mind, that's how he does his method acting. Like I'm texting Martin Scorsese, but I'm texting him as Bill the Butcher. So that's how he. That's how his process. is. That's a kill. Yeah, (laughs) that's That's a a kill. kill. (laughs) (laughs) But he also is very reclusive and he doesn't usually go out. But one night, Scorsese and DiCaprio asked. They they talked him into going out for dinner with them because the two of them always went out to dinner to like you know talk about movies and stuff and and and. David Lewis was like, okay, I'll go with you tonight. And they went to uh, a restaurant in New York, but he's still Bill the Butcher. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't showered in two months. He's got this crazy greasy hair. Uh, probably wearing, if not the actual wardrobe, but similar clothes uh, to what Bill would wear. And apparently he terrified the waitress so much that she wouldn't go near the table anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Marty and Leo loved it. It must have been hysterical. Oh, man, that's pretty wild. <laughs> that's crazy. But yeah, we love Gangs in New York, obviously. Marty and Leo. I think it's an underrated masterpiece as well for uh, Scorsese. And then Cameron Diaz has a great role in it, too. Yeah, she's it's just a phenomenal it, yeah. movie all around. And then 2004, another underrated masterpiece from Martin Scorsese, The Aviator. Leonardo DiCaprio plays Howard Hughes. in a biopic dep- depicting the early years of this legendary director and aviator from his career in the late 1920s to the mid-1940s. And this is another movie where... It's similar to Catch Me If You Can, where it's like a long period of time over a real person's life. But I think the aviator, Leo, might have put most of himself into a role in terms of the performance and the emotionality and the physicalness of the nature of the character, especially the OCD elements to Howard Hughes' character. And it's just a breathtaking performance every time I watch it. I I would argue this is probably his best performance, Mm -hmm. even though he won the Oscar for The Revenant. I think what he did in The Aviator was sensational. It's an incredible um, showcase of his talents. And uh, Howard Hughes was such a huge person in in the world, such a magnetic personality, very very unique person, obviously, with all those disorders and his behavior patterns. So it's a challenging role to perform. And he also, like Howard Hughes accomplished so much at such a young age, so very accomplished person. I think it's a dream job role for any kind of actor and, I think that DiCaprio, even though he didn't win the Oscar for this, I think he should have won the Oscar. uh, Kate Blanchett did win the Oscar as Catherine Hepburn, and deservedly so, because she's absolutely fantastic in that that role. And I think that Leo should have won as well. I think it's one of the best performances of the last 20 years. Yeah, and the next movie he did was also another Scorsese movie, which is three in a row. But before we get to that, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is almost always a very dapper man and if you want to impress your crush just as much as Leonardo DiCaprio would, then you'll need to get your hands on Manscapes Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. Head on over to Manscaped.com and get the Lawnmower 4.0 using our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping worldwide this brand new groomers waterproof skin safe has a 7,000 rpm motor wireless charger built-in light it's amazing fellas you gotta get to manscape.com their products are amazing they've sent us everything their boxer briefs are super comfortable not gonna lie we wear them all the time uh they sent us colognes uh, men's like wipes for your face and everywhere else and everything's great and so fellas ladies if you need a gift for the man in your life whether it's an anniversary a birthday or a take this hint gift. Go to manscape.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for twenty percent off and twenty percent off and free shipping for gifts that guys will actually use and appreciate. I'm telling you, this will knock it out of the park. All right, let's get back into Leonardo DiCaprio's filmography. Way of the Future, the way of the future, way of the future. And we're with the departed. Three in a row with Marty. 2006. He plays William Billy Costigan, an undercover cop, and a mole in the Boston <laughs> Police Attemp- Department attempts to identify each other while infiltrating an Irish gang in South Boston. And, and this is one of our favorite movies we've done an episode briefly talking about in our Boston Movies episode. It's a wicked piss. Movie and I mean, guy. Leonardo DiCaprio playing Billy Costigan, who is a mole infiltrating Frank Costello's gang who's played by Jack Nicholson and then Matt Damon plays the exact opposite. He's a mole inside the Boston Police Department working for Frank Costello and they're both tasked with finding each other. It's it's a sensational crime drama. I think we've talked about being like in terms of crime dramas, it's like Heat and then The Departed. Those are like the top two. Oh, yeah, and it's, you could say it's the best Boston movie ever. It's Wicked Pissing wicked guy, Kid. Wicked a kid, <laughs> <laughs> And he does the Boston accent perfectly. Uh, Billy Costigan is a a fascinating character. He goes through hell in this movie. And and I think that he showed new facets to his talent. Like, this character is on edge constantly. He's always under duress. He has serious complications with his mind. And, you know, he's a very stressed out person. And I think that DiCaprio really captured that perfectly. And, you know, working alongside Jack Nicholson and Matt Damon, it's just a star-studded cast. It's a dream job, I bet. And I think that this is—it won Best Picture. And interestingly, he didn't get nominated for this, but he got nominated for Blood Diamond, which also came out in 2006. But I think that clearly his performance is Costigan is the better performance. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, you know, Marty, this is the movie he finally won the award for Best Unreal. Director. It took him— 45 years of making movies to finally get that recognition, which is absurd. making some of the best movies ever. How does he not win for Goodfellas? or Taxi Driver well Taxi Driver is ahead of its time Raging Bull it's incredible but you know the part is a a phenomenal movie we love it to death and we'll do a solo episode on it soon we should be promised but like you said also in 2006 he came out with Blood Diamond he plays Danny Acha Kid (laughs) he's not from Boston (laughs) he's from South Africa (laughs) he's not from Southie. and it's about (laughs) a fisherman a smuggler and a syndicate of businessmen match wits over the possession of a priceless diamond and this movie makes you feel very fortunate if you're living you know, First World Nation. And we follow this character, Archer, played by Leo, who's, you know, tortured by his past and his roots, but he he grows and transforms as a character and becomes a good man towards the end of the film. And also I think that, you know, this was his first real tough guy role. You know what I mean? He kind ca- I mean Billy Coskin, you I wouldn't say he's a tough guy. He, he he's acts, very vulnerable. He's very vulnerable. He acts tough, but he's not. And so Blood Diamond, I think, really showed how strong he could be as a character. Like this character Commands the room You know what I mean he's, Well Amsterdam's a Pretty strong character too. Yeah he's pretty strong But I'd say For this one But like this is like An yeah. action character Like yeah. he's doing action scenes Holding a gun Half the time You know y- Yelling at people You know he's He's a real like Hero in this movie And I The South African accent, it sounds pretty legit for sure. And also, I love Jimon Hunsu, who also stars in this movie, and they're fantastic together. Yeah, This was made by Edward Zwick, who also did The Last Samurai. Yeah, which we had just done an episode on, so go check that out. If you saw that, you know how much we love that movie. And also, Jennifer Connelly is also phenomenal in this movie, as she always is. And, you know, Blood Diamond, it's a really emotional journey. And it makes you think twice about, you know, what goes into the precious things we have in our lives in these wealthy nations that we live in and you know what it takes and the things that it costs just to get things like diamonds and resources. And, you know, I think this is something that people should watch pretty regularly or films like this and even documentaries, especially about conflict diamonds and, and you know, just minerals and resources and how they're extracted from these nations. Yeah, and it's not just jewelry, it's anything from like the cobalt that powers your smartphone Yeah, you know? any every, all sorts of materials. You know, we don't know where they come from. Um, but you just often, get the end result, which yeah. is a, an iPhone 11, yeah. you know, we're very lucky to be uh, at the end of the journey of these materials. You it's, know, what I mean, a movie like this really makes you appreciate where you come from. I'm sure that was his motivation to want to be in this movie for sure. Absolutely. And then in 2008, he was in Body of Lies, which I like this movie a lot, plays Roger Ferris. This is also based on real people. And he is a CIA agent on on the ground in Jordan who hunts down a powerful terrorist leader while being caught between the unclear intentions of his American supervisors and the Jordan intelligence. And this is, you know, an introduction basically to modern warfare, warfare, you could say, of this time of, you know, America being in the Middle East. And, you know, we have... You know, bodies, obviously, body of lies, but satellites, cell phones play a major part in this new art of war. Yeah, and Russell Crowe stars in this movie as well, and they're awesome together. They don't share too much screen time together, but they're often communicating with each other over the phone. They're on the phone a lot, yeah. yeah. Their their wireless bill must yeah. be pretty high. <laughs> but DiCaprio did a great job. This is also an action-heavy. This was directed by Ridley Scott, and so I think he could not pass up the opportunity to work with him. And again, fantastic job with accents and speaking Arabic in this movie as well. Yeah. And very timely. 2008, he starred in Revolutionary Road opposite Kate Winslet, their reunion in film. And it's about a young couple living in Connecticut during the mid-1950s who struggled to come to terms with their personal problems while trying to raise their two children. This movie is very similar to Malcolm and Marie, which just came out. It's basically about a couple who's been together, but kind of like one thing is said or done That turns into like a never-ending argument or fight and and destruction of their relationship. Whereas, But Revolutionary Road takes place over a longer period of time. Yeah, and directed by Sam Mendes. It's a really tragic story. It's about this couple who they both want to change their lives, but they still love each other. And so they hatch this plan, well, we're going to move to France. And then, you know, a lot of people, you know, they just say they're going to do things, but they never actually do them. And that's basically what happens in this movie. They never, you know... Fulfilled the thing that they wanted to do or their dream and they kind of get stuck down in this marriage And they end up turning on each other and even purposely making the trip impossible in certain ways And so it's a really tragic story about this love that is corrupted by selfish desires and And it's it's a really difficult movie to watch but the acting in this movie is insane Kate Winslet and DiCaprio really give it their all Sam Mendes did a great job uh, directing this film It's an unbelievably compelling moving drama Also, it was Michael Shannon's big breakout movie Then in 2010, he's back with Marty for Shutter Island He plays Edward Teddy Daniels In 1954, a U.S. marshal investigates the disappearance of a murderer Who escaped from a hospital for the criminally insane It's not a U.S. marshal it's a U.S. Marshall, Marshall, kid. I was it's like, U.S. Marshall. I, I definitely read it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> and this movie is amazing because it's kind of like out of the realm of what I think most people think says Scorsese does with his movies. Again, he doesn't mostly do gangster movies. He does other things besides gangster stuff. <laughs> other things. <laughs> other things, kid. And and Shuttle Island's a perfect example of it. And especially what's cool about this, we won't reveal the crazy plot twist at the end of the film, obviously. But, you know, the filmmaking and behind the scenes of this movie It's one of those films, same thing with Wolf of Wall Street. You'd be shocked how much green screen Marty uses in his films now. Yeah, Scorsese's a a great director, but he's also a very intelligent director. He knows how to craft an image, and he's not afraid to use CGI because he knows he's going to trick you. And just like in this movie, a lot of what you're seeing in the backgrounds is actually done on a studio, on a soundstage, or outside in front of a big green screen. So I think that he's he's very much like David Fincher where he's masking the CGI and he's hiding it, whereas when you watch this movie, you're like, oh, there is no CGI because it's done so well. It's not in your yeah. face. It's hidden in plain sight. Yeah. Again, same thing with Fincher. And DiCaprio is incredible in this movie is teddy daniels it's a really tough role there's a lot going on it's very complex and the transformation of the character is probably as far as a character can possibly transform Mm -hmm. you can't do much more than this and he pulls it out full stop He's amazing in this, and and you know this movie just messes with your head. You don't know what's going on until the end of the movie, and you know he stars opposite Mark Ruffalo in this film. It's Ben Kingsley, Ben, yeah, Ben's in this as well, and so incredible cast, incredible movie. It's wicked up. Based on the book by Dennis Lehane, who does a lot, who also wrote Mystic River. He does all those uh, Boston crime books, the the town. Yeah, he did the town too, guy. (laughs) Dennis Lehane. And it's Lee. Lee Hane. <laughs> it's Lee Hane from from West Roxbury. From Providence. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Two thousand and ten. He just casually dropped Inception with Christopher Nolan. <laughs> he plays Cobb, a thief who steals corporate secrets through the through the use of dream sharing technology, is given the inverse task of planting an idea into the mind of a CEO. So this movie at the time when it came out was probably the most ambitious, groundbreaking film I'd ever seen. I, I like to compare Chris Nolan to, like, the closest thing we have to, to like, Stanley Kubrick, someone like that, where he's incredible, challenging ideas and blend of sci-fi in his film. And I think Inception, just because it's been 11 years, I think people forget how great that was and the impact it had just on the world and in cinema in general. So I, I think people should revisit it more often just to really remember how great of the film that is. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite movies and. I just I just remember even seeing the first trailer for it and it was just the trailer was like, Oh my god I <laughs> hate to see out of control. <laughs> Insane. And I think like you said, it's the only sci-fi movie DiCaprio's ever done and probably ever will do. And you know, the reason why he did it obviously is to work with Christopher Nolan and his vision for this was astounding and I'm sure the script on paper was unlike anything he had ever read before. But also when you make the Dark Knight I'm sure like everyone wants to work with you mm-hmm. even DiCaprio like you can work with anyone you want when you make something like The Dark Knight and that's why DiCaprio I think signed on to work with Chris Nolan it's probably Chris's best movie too yeah it, I, I, be. it might be my favorite Chris Nolan movie still and then um in 2011 we've done a full episode on Inception so go check that out guys there's just just on, an hour and a half of inception talk that was, that was a while ago yeah man we might quite... have to do another one <laughs> <laughs> <Just> in, <laughs> inception part 2 because <laughs> we're better at it it's been a, it's been a long time um, in 2011, he starred in J. Edgar as J. Edgar Hoover, who was a powerful head of the FBI for nearly 50 years. And the film follows him looking back on his professional and personal life. And this was directed by the great Clint Eastwood. And he stars with Army Hammer and Naomi Watts. And this is a really good movie. I, I think it's one of those movies where when you show a biopic that it expands at such a long amount of time, The old makeup kind of doesn't work at some points. It kind of feels like it's a prosthetic. It doesn't look too super believable at times. Um, But ultimately, it's a great film. And I think that, again, he wanted to work with a great director like Clint Eastwood. But ultimately, from what I read, is they did not have a good working relationship. Because Clint Eastwood, unlike probably every other director that works, he he likes to do one take and move on. So if you're an actor on a Clint Eastwood movie... You get one take for each scene that's it better nail it yeah because he thinks that you give everything you give your best performance in the first take and he doesn't like to waste time with other takes whereas leo someone who you know working with scorsese for anyone who doesn't know scorsese loves improvisation he loves actors giving him ideas and doing and running with scenes and some of his best moments like Joe pesci's famous you know um lines in the in the good in good how that was improvised so it, it, Scorsese understands when you hire the best actors alive, they're going to come up with some genius takes. So I think DiCaprio loves improvising as well. And coming to Clint Eastwood's set, he didn't like just doing one take and moving on. So I don't think they did a, they worked together very well. Either way, though, it's a, it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. I enjoyed it. But let's move into our intermission right now. Oh yeah, and we'll begin with our movie quote competition. I have one from a fan, and also one from me. And the fan. Of the movie quote this week in this episode is Miranda Hutley. Are you listening? I'm listening. Pardon my French, but Cameron is so tight that if you stuck a lump of coal up his ass in two weeks, you'd have a diamond. Is this Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) All right. Then I have one for me. Give her a moment for this That was a good quote. Yeah. I always liked you. You're always the best of them. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine, or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. (laughs) Pretty good job. Thanks. There's Jack in the Shining. Need some whiskey, I would have nailed it. (laughs) All right, your turn. Did that uh, video that person made with the Jim Carrey thing inspire that? Oh, no, that was just... I didn't even... That was funny. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Someone... Well, I sh- someone sent it to us, I think, or yeah. someone we someone yeah. DM'd it to us. And then I posted it, but it was someone did a deep fake of Jim Carrey on Jack Torrance's face, and it- I swear to God, it looked just like me. Yeah, it's pretty Or spooky. probably looked like you, because we're twins. Yeah, looked, if, if I had long hair. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty, pretty very eerie, very spooky. Very eerie, because my dad always says, like, he always says I look like Jim Carrey. I'm like, I don't know if that's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's my quote. It's not a movie, it's a TV quote. All right? I broke the rules. Whoa, I was not prepared. (laughs) (laughs) You need to go brush up on some TV. I need to go watch all the TV of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here we go. Hippies, they're everywhere. They want to save Earth, but all they do is smoke pot and smell bad. What kind of TV show is this? Very immature TV show. (laughs) It's a cartoon. It's a cartoon? Yeah. Is it South Park? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, Nailed it's it. Eric Cartman. Oh, yeah. Nailed it. The way you, you should have done an Eric Cartman voice. Hippies, they're everywhere. Yeah, They want to save Earth, but all they do is smoke pie and smell bad. <laughs> Bit man. All right, guess this movie release year. Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia. 2000, the first one? Yeah. 2008. Nailed it. Yes. Nailed it. Here's mine. Hopefully. <laughs> a Clockwork Orange. It's a good one. You don't sound confident. 19. Yes. <laughs> 74. 71. Oh, man. I knew it was old, but fuck, I didn't realize it was that old. Hey, F-bomb. Oh, yeah, sorry. You can just silence it out. I'll silence it out. You think it's the first F-bomb I've silenced? <laughs> you think it's the first hole I've dug? <laughs> All right. Movie pop quiz time. In The Departed, what is the incorrect address that Costigan is accidentally told by Delahunt versus the correct address he shows up to to meet Queenan, where the gangsters show up? So the incorrect one is 314 Washington Street. And the correct one is 340. 344. 344, oh, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you almost a- am I not it? here? When I got the, call, I got the, the signal, signal, I got, I got the, the call. call. When I got the call, I came here. <laughs> I was at the grocery store with no signal. <laughs> <laughs> this is back when it was actually common to not have a good signal with your flip phone. Well, we would, you would know because yeah. you just got rid of your flip phone. No, yeah, yeah. Do you no, want yeah, yeah. to talent- tell everyone what happened to your flip phone? I, I lost it at the airport. <laughs> He's been using a flip phone for 3 years. He's finally done with it. Yeah. I think it was a sign. It was from the it universe. Definitely, yeah. But back then, it's not the cell phones that weren't working, just, there weren't that many towers. And so The towers The kid. towers there weren't that many cell towers <laughs> kid. So it was rare it was actually common to not have a signal in areas. Like it happened all the time. And also you would have calls that would drop, remember? You'd be on the phone with someone and then all of a sudden it would just be gone. You'd be like, "What happened?" <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this conversation would, would be like if we were like 80 talking about it but we're only 31 and it's only 2021 I, th- I think everyone listening had a flip phone I don't know <laughs> I don't think so it's so like we're playing jacks at the fountain with grandma no, smartphones <laughs> came out in 2004 bro plenty, plenty of people listening kidding. never had a flip 2004? phone 2004? yeah smartphones? yeah are you sure about that? pretty sure 2004 maybe you're right I don't they, know. they were like first created anyways let's move on to the biggest hater of the week who we got I have a f- in my phone right here. Here, let me move on to biggest support of the week while you pull I got, that I out. got it. I you got, got it? it? All right, biggest hate of the week. It. I got it. Okay, so on our Shark Movies episode, Miranda Celeste commented, I'm honestly disappointed Life Aquatic did not make the list. Classic shark movie. Unsubscribed. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. <laughs> Crack that's me pretty, up. That's pretty good. All right, biggest supporter of the week is a review, Samantha Mend got on apple podcasts just to leave a review uh uh-huh. I use Spotify, but hopped on here just so I could leave my five-star review. I love movies, and I love listening to people who clearly love movies as well. They're the kind of commentators who seek to find something enjoyable out of everything they watch, which is so refreshing. Their chemistry is also great, and they're so clearly unpretentious with their takes. Plus, they're both hot. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Samantha. (laughs) Thanks for noticing. It's almost as good as the rotisserie chicken one. <laughs> That's <pretty good. laughs> The rotisserie chicken. Anyways, on this day in film history. Hold on, hold on. You didn't let me say my movie quiz Oh, question. I'm so sorry. Did you I g- skip that? Yeah, you didn't let me say it. Maybe you know, I'm just too afraid. You were like, hey, what's the hair of the week? <laughs> sorry, man. All right. Who we... directed the Sunrise Trilogy? Richard Linklater. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. Gotcha. All right. On this day in film history, today's August 26th. In 2018, Danny Boyle pulled out of directing the next James Bond film due to creative differences. So I wonder, like, what a Danny Boyle-James Bond would have looked like. What's the biggest budget he's ever done? The biggest budget he's done is probably um sunshine no i would say 28 days later maybe oh sunshine yeah he made 28 days like he used camcorders from radio shack to make that movie that was a visual creative decision the most expensive thing was the plastic bag that he walked around with i'm just kidding that was a real movie i'm kidding it was a creative decision it was a big budget (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I got myself with that. that oh no, yeah, Sunshine's biggest budget. You're right. <laughs> uh, born on this day, we have Macaulay Culkin, Chris Pine, and John Mulaney. Also, movies that were released on August. No 26th. woman were born. <laughs> <laughs> Not a single woman was born on August twenty sixth in history. <laughs> <laughs> those are just the most popular ones alright <laughs> of course a man would say that list. oh my god <laughs> I hate you I hate you alright uh <laughs> And then movies that were released, <laughs> the, Brothers- <Sorry. laughs> the Brothers Grimm in 2005, Your Name in 2016, and then Natural Born Killers in 1994. We just did Your Name yeah. in the an anime episode. Yeah. And I love The Brothers Grimm. It's got uh, Heath Ledger and Matt Damon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't even look That's at right. you right now. <laughs> my God. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, my gosh, man. All right. What's your movie recommendation for today? <laughs> I don't have one. Do you have one? I have Attack the Block. Oh, I'll just say just redo the lot. <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> All right. And my movie recommendation for this week is Attack the Block on Amazon Prime. It is an amazing alien invasion movie starring John Boyega. It's about a bunch of street kids who start taking down aliens who have invaded the neighborhood. It's so much fun. It's got a great soundtrack. Excellent movie. And the sequel is in pre-production. That's right. Can't wait. It's going to be awesome. All right, let's get back to Leonardo DiCaprio's career and in 2012 he co-starred in Django Unchained. He played Calvin Candy. The film is about a German bounty hunter and a freed slave who set out to rescue his wife from a brutal plantation plantation owner in Mississippi. And you know Leonardo DiCaprio, I think this is the only straight up villain he's done in his entire career and it's a film from Quentin Tarantino. And if you're a big movie star like Leo, you've never really done a villain. I think at this point in his career, he felt that he was safe to take on not just a villain character because a lot of actors, they they probably don't want to they want to avoid the situation where they get typecast as just villains, or they don't want to, you know, hurt their brand in a way. And we've talked about earlier on how Leo is very smart with his brand as an actor. How he only works with great directors. He doesn't really do like superhero movies or anything like that. He's, he has his rules that he abides by, and this is the only villain I could think of. He's done. Yeah, because it looks. If you look at Christoph Waltz, as great as he is, he has been playing a ton of villains lately. And so, I mean, I think that he didn't want to get caught inside of that same kind of trap as well. You know what I mean? I could see that, yeah. And this was his first supporting role since 1995 in The Quick and the Dead. And so, I think he's also smart with not just, not picking to choose to play the villain, but also playing only the lead roles in movies, which is a big deal for being a leading man in Hollywood. Or co-starring. Yeah, and and not even, you could say he's in a couple of ensembles, but he's still the leader of the movie. Whereas this, I think it's only because it's such a brilliant character written by Tarantino. And because of who Tarantino is, I think that DiCaprio was very enticed by that. those combinations of the character that was written and the director to be able to be like, okay, I'll be the supporting character in this movie. Not even show up until an hour into the film. But the role is that good. Yeah, and, and Calvin's one of the most evil, interesting characters we've seen in years. One of the one of the most iconic in Tarantino's filmography, which is saying a lot. And just Leo gives this role everything he has, and he knocks it out of the park. And we've done an episode featuring Django, so go check that out for sure, guys. Yeah, and it's, it's got some iconic scenes, like the, the blood scene when he cuts his hand open and he continues filming and finishes his monologue. It's unbelievable acting. And, you know, I he didn't even get nominated for this. I don't think because of the kind of role it is, I don't think yeah. they would nominate him. But I think um, looking back on his filmography, people will always be like, Yeah, Calvin Candy was probably could have been his best performance. Could be, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then two thousand and thirteen, Leo starred in the Great Gatsby as Jay Gatsby. A writer and Wall Streeter a, a writer in Wall Street trader, Nick, finds himself drawn to the past and lifestyle of his millionaire neighbor, Jay Gatsby. And the Gatsby book is so famous everyone reads it in school mm-hmm. at some point it's one of those books like uh you read in summer reading you know what i mean it's like hatchet it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah i, lo- I love hatchet <laughs> hatchet's good but like it's not like gatsby <laughs> okay you're right it's like <laughs> it's not <laughs> legendary <laughs> i don't know why i just i love that book no when hatchet was awesome when i was like, was awesome. when when I was, like 11 yeah but uh, gatsby's a really fascinating character and I think DiCaprio, he could have been the only person who could have pulled it off this well, and it, it became an iconic role, like that meme of him holding up the glass of champagne. Oh, yeah, so many memes from this movie. It's iconic, but uh, Baz Lerman again, I think they had such a great relationship on Romeo and Juliet. I mean, this is 20 years later, and they make another movie together, so clearly they got along really well. I'm sure he loved working with him, but Lerman's vision for this was fantastic, uh, really extravagant, like Gatsby's parties are, and also contemporary in terms of the music, he used a lot of hip hop music. Jay Z was actually a producer on this movie and encouraged him to use uh, rap and hip hop songs to bring that contemporary vibe out of the period piece. Yeah, it reminds me of of like Peaky Blinders, where you know mm-hmm. we're in this period piece of period era of the 1890s, 1900s, but we have like like cool like rock like the Black Keys and. And, and stuff like that. And Arctic mm-hmm. Monkeys playing at the same time. So it's the same exact uh, feel, I, f- I think, and aesthetic. Yeah, and Carrie Mulligan's great as Daisy. They have a, a lot of chemistry together. And his so, buddy Toby is in it. Yeah. Who to- I think is, he's way too old to be that character, isn't he? That character is um, just out of, he just became a broker. So he's still new. And I believe he's like 22. Yeah, but Toby's like 36 in that movie. Yeah, he's pretty old. It's a bit old. I, I mean, think, even I think he was Leo... old in Spider Man, way too old. We, we know Leo got him the role. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> he's like, I'll do it if Toby can be a 20 year old. I love Toby, but Leo got him the role. Yeah. And then 2013, he also came out with The Wolf of Wall Street, another reunion with Martin Scorsese. He plays Jordan <laughs> Belfort. <laughs> Scorsese. I'm just so excited when I say his name. And it's based on the true story of Jordan Belfort who – from his rise to a wealthy stockbroker living the high life to, uh, to his fall involving crime, corruption, and the federal government. And this is such an underrated movie. I think a lot of people, they look at it on the surface and they think, oh, what a horrible, tel- terrible story. I can't believe that people like this movie. Like, oh, of course, like kind of like this kind of stereotypical guy loves this movie. He's like the same person who loves Fight Club. That's the surface. But watching this movie, it's astounding filmmaking, incredible acting. And everything about it is just so well done. It's really funny too. Yeah. It's, it's hysterical. So, so funny. The sides cured cancer. Yes, the sides. That's why they're so expensive. And this is the closest thing he's done to Goodfellas, Scorsese. I, I think that this and Goodfellas are like cousins. You know what I mean? Yeah, I the, can the, feel that. The story, the way it's written, the narration the the whip fast speed there are so many scenes in this movie just like in Goodfellas but Scorsese somehow manages to pack in all these moments it's insane how big and sculpt this movie is in terms of the amount of things that happen in it there's even a couple freeze frames right oh yeah this freeze frame. yeah this freeze yeah. frames yeah which he do, he he does a lot he does a lot but not in every one of his movies not, yeah not in every but one, he but does he... a lot in Goodfellas and yeah. this he does multiple like I think the goldfish with Jonah Hill that's a screen grab oh yeah definitely but this movie as well because I remember when I was a kid. We have older brothers, and they subscribe to Maxim magazine. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I would read the articles. <laughs> Me, 11-year-old Jim, was reading articles on Maxim. But I remember I came across this story of this Wolf of Wall Street, and I was, like, fascinated by this story when I was a kid. And, like, I, to- I totally forgot about it for a decade and a half. And then this movie comes out, and I'm like, that was what I read when I was 11. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah, and DiCaprio, he had never done comedy before. And he's really funny. Oh, He's, he, he's great yeah. in this, especially the Quaalude scenes, and especially when he's trying to enter his, his Lamborghini. That scene is so hysterical. Yeah. He opens the door with his foot, and he improvised that scene. That was not planned. He came up with the idea, and he came up with the idea to open the door with his foot. And the physical acting performances. Yeah, there, I think they only did it in one take because it was that demanding. He hurt his back doing it. Yeah, and just, like, falling down the stairs. But, dude— Marty's it's so funny Mari's directing this movie It's it's one of his best In his filmography Which we say about All of his movies yeah, But I mean Him and Jonah Hill Together are just It's comedy cold Yeah this helped Explore Jonah Hill's career Because yes he was In Moneyball And got an Oscar nom for that But like with Wolf of Wall Street Jonah Hill became Like a movie star Pretty yeah, much Exactly 100% Very well respected Actor now and then in 2015, he starred in The Revenant, he played Hugh Glass, and this is about a frontiersman on a fur trading expedition in the 1820s, fights for survival after being mauled by a bear and left for dead by members of his own hunting team. And this is loosely based on a true story, not all of it's true, like he doesn't have a son in real life, but the book is really fascinating and a little more accurate to Hugh Glass and what he was really like, but man, what a performance, he he went to hell and back just to finally get his Oscar. Yeah, what this what makes this movie different and I've said it before, a lot of DiCaprio's characters they speak a lot. There's a lot of dialogue. I mean, just take Wolf of Wall Street, Inception, you know, uh, Django, so much dialogue, so much scenes to so many scenes to chew. And with this movie, he speaks very little. This mo- this performance is all physicality. And I think that he was drawn to the idea of like, you know, portraying a character physically without saying too much at all. And uh, I think that's what people really saw in this movie, how, how much he put into it, how much of his body he sacrificed to the performance. Like, like when he's dragging his body across the dirt, And he's like scraping his nails into the earth. Like You're like, oh my God, he's really going for it in this movie. It's insane. Yeah, you go in the backyard and do that in a frozen environment. That's not going to feel very good. Yeah, and they shot this in the real environments. Like we've said before, we actually did an episode on this. They only use one artificial light in the entire movie for one moment. Otherwise, it's all natural light because they're shooting in the real real locations. And this is freezing temperatures, freezing cold rain, snow. Uh, So it's physically difficult challenging movie to make yeah and you know we yeah like we did an episode on that in Birdman when we had our guest Santiago Chaga on it was a great episode to do because The Revenant is a sensational movie and uh Iñárritu is a fantastic director and Emmanuel Lubezki's cinematography is always is spot on and just beautiful every single shot is a piece of art and you know The Revenant's one of the best movies made in the last decade for sure but before we continue why don't you tell us about some movie posters pal I have to tell you about movieposters.com the best place to get your posters online today. We have a brand new coupon code with the website, so our old one will not work anymore. It got shared too much yeah, online, yeah, so it, a lot of people are using it. Yeah, it was It's out on the internet, so he, this is just for our show. We've changed it, so now the coupon code is Raiders15OFF. Again, Raiders15OFF. So if you use that code at MoviePosters.com, you will get 15% off your entire order. They have an incredibly large selection of movie posters, every kind of size, framing, backlighting, Pretty much every movie imaginable, MoviePosters.com has it. This is high-quality stuff, and don't go to Amazon for the free shipping. It's not worth it because the quality is not good. We have it in our set. We have, what, like two dozen of these posters, and they look fantastic. Again, go to MoviePosters.com, use our coupon code RAIDERS15OFF, and get 15% off that order today. Thanks so much for bringing that up, Anthony. i love to. And then the last film that Leo was in that was released... Was once upon a time in Hollywood in 2019, directed by Quentin Tarantino. He plays Rick Dalton, a faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the final years of Hollywood's Hollywood's golden age in 1969, Los Angeles. And you could probably say that this is like a movie that no one will ever make a movie like this again. You know, Quentin Tarantino. Once his career is over, no one does what he does. You can't make a three-hour movie of. Half of it just mostly dialogue then just dudes driving around in cars. That <laughs> doesn't fly with studios. In the 70s. Yeah, but like Quentin Tarantino is such a great storyteller and writer that he keeps you engaged for three hours with just these two real two characters mostly, plus Margot Robbie's character playing Sharon Tate. And the movie was a big hit and made over $300 million. Which was, I think, the highest grossing in Tarantino's career. I believe you're right. I believe I am. I, I believe you may be I right. I believe I am. I believe you, you're right about me being right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love Rick Dalton. And Cliff Booth with him, obviously, that's a great duo, but Rick Dalton is like he's like this blend of tragedy and comedy in this character because he's he's like so so pathetic, but also you kind of feel bad for him and then he acts like a brat and in, in whines all the time. But then you're like, he, he it's just funny to watch him do that. And it, it he's just a fascinating character. You've never seen Leo like have act like this before. Like he has that outburst in his trailer. Yeah. He's like, goddamn fuck drunk. You're drunk. Five margaritas. Why are you gonna have five margaritas, man? <laughs> he's like that's it I'm quitting drinking he takes his flask he takes a sip of it he's like oh shit he throws it out the (laughs) door (laughs) yeah Leo is sensational as Rick Dolan but him and Brad Pitt in scenes together for two and a half hours it's we haven't seen anything like that It's, it's like Paul Newman and Robert Redford being in the same movie together it's just the star power of these two guys in one movie together it's like too much to handle at some points. You just can't <laughs> look away, dude. Too much masculinity. It's too much, too much handsome. Too many perfect faces <laughs> yeah. on screen. And then you had Margot Robbie. It's like, Jesus, these are like the most beautiful people in the world. And then I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh man. <laughs> I, I do not look like Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we gotta cover at some point. We've barely done Tarantino's filmography, really, besides his his spotlight. But yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think, is one of those movies that because it's pretty fresh. Not maybe not everyone's seen, it, or maybe people have only seen it once. But once, once, but p- once people get time over the next decade to see it multiple times, like we have, and you really appreciate it more and more. I think the same thing happens with all of Tarantino's movies, like Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs. The more times you watch them, the more times you're like, "What a genius film!" Yeah, this movie gets better on repeat viewings, and it has one of the craziest climaxes I've ever seen. Same. It's every time I see it, I'm like, "Oh my god, it's this wild. is crazy." Burn them to a crisp, <laughs> goddamn hooky. The goddamn hippies aren't okay, that's for sure. But goddamn hippies, but goddamn <laughs> hippies. It's a private road. <laughs> it's so just fun. Just back it up. <laughs> this movie, it's just so fun. It's that's what it is. It's fun. Yeah, it's a good time. You like I, I whenever I watch this movie, I'm just like I feel like I'm sitting back with friends, just like enjoying it. It's a it's a blast. It's great. Yeah. All right, and right now, Leo is currently filming another Martin Scorsese movie number six killers of the flower moon and he plays ernest Burkhart, and this tells this really interesting story about the members of the osage tribe which i believe was in oklahoma who were began getting murdered because this tribe of indigenous people they they came into immense wealth because they owned the land there that's what you know that's retribution they got for being treated so horribly is a lot of na- indigenous people got land but then it was discovered that there was a ton of oil under that land and so these indigenous peoples became incredibly wealthy like so much money they didn't even know how to spend it I've read they had more wealth than anyone else per capita in 1920 yeah they, in, in the whole entire world and like where they lived and in terms of like like what could they spend their money on? This is 1920, so they they had so much money, but they they didn't know what to do with it, and they couldn't really spend much money anyways. But eventually, one by one, they start getting taken out. and there are these mysterious murders that are happening to some of these young indigenous women first. But then this film st- follows that mystery, and he plays one of the character, the main characters in the in the story. Fascinating! And it's story. gonna be it's gonna be wild. I got the Anthony's gonna read the book. I read it a couple months I'm ago. Starting it tonight. It's pretty wild. It's <laughs> it's quite the read but it's yeah it's all based on a true story and i can't wait to see them back together and again. then leo is in pre-production pre-production on another film called the black hand and this is about a detective investigating murders i think in chicago or, or new, no new york i believe and so and then he's also going to play theodore roosevelt in a biopic of that president also directed by maddie And then hopefully we'll get The Devil in the White City, which is the H.H. Holmes miniseries. That That, would be pretty incredible. It says it's in pre-production, so... No, it says it's announced. Oh. But again, it's been announced for like seven years. I was mistaken. So I don't know. I honestly don't think that movie will ever get made. It'll get made. But I mean, Kills of the Flower Moon... Brendan Fraser just got cast in that, which The King is Back, thank God. Jesse Plemons, Robert De Niro, Barry Corbin, John Lithgow, Lily Gladstone, Tantu Cardinal, Nathaniel Arkin. It's, this cast is absurd, and so I think it's going to be a terrific film to go see in theaters. I read that DiCaprio actually changed his role in the movie. He was going to play one role, but he was having conflicts with the writer of the movie who refused to make changes to the character that DiCaprio wanted, mm-hmm. and so DiCaprio... Um, moved into another role, and Jesse Plemons took his Tom original, White. Yeah, original role. So I wonder what it was. Maybe you'll find out when you read the book. Yeah. Do you oh, know? right. I'm only going to say it. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, some that's his entire some filmography. Trivia. Yeah. Go through, let's do some trivia. Leonardo DiCaprio auditioned for the role of Robin in Batman Forever, which went to Chris O'Donnell. He actually auditioned? Yeah. Huh. But I think he, he, turned, 95. But he turned it down, though. It was 95, so. I'm sure it's, like, it's the biggest movie of the year. I'll audition, you know, show face with the studios. Yeah, that kind of thing. DiCaprio was also offered the role of Dirk Diggler in Boogie Nights, but he instead decided to do Titanic, and Dirk Diggler went to Mark Wahlberg. During the making of Romeo and Juliet, key hairstylist Aldo Signoretti was kidnapped by gang members and held for $300 of ransom, which the director Boz Lerman paid. Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio did not initially get along well on set of Romeo and Juliet. Danes said that DiCaprio was always being immature, while DiCaprio DiCaprio said Danes was always just being uptight. So I guess clashing personalities. After finding out that she had to be naked in front of Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet decided to break the ice, and when they first met, she flashed him. The movie Titanic cost $200 million to produce. This actually is more than the Titanic cost itself to be built. The cost of the construction of the ship in 1910 to 1912 was 1.5 million euros, which is the equivalent of $7.5 million. Adjusted for inflation, that's about 120 to $150 million. So it was still much cheaper than the movie was. Yeah, and it's a small ship compared to like a Carnival Cruise too. Mm-hmm. During the filming of Gangs of New York, Leonardo DiCaprio accidentally broke daniel day lewis's nose while filming a fight scene however daniel day lewis didn't care and continued to film the scene despite the injury he was probably like oh it's perfect right now (laughs) exactly (laughs) what i needed a broken nose broken (laughs) and catch me if you can the officer that arrests frank abagnale at the end in france was actually played by the real life frank abagnale jr In preparation for his role as Howard Hughes, Leonardo DiCaprio spent some time with an OCD patient named Edward. He advised him on several aspects of the condition, in particular the tendency to repeat sentences over and over again, as in the scene where Hugh repeatedly says, asking for the blueprints, and also says the way of the future. Before Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio decided to make Shutter Island, they were actually going to make Wolf of Wall Street first. However, the financing for Wolf failed, and so they went to Shutter Island instead and that's all my notes thank you so much for tuning into this episode on leonardo dicaprio be sure to become a patron today at patreon.com slash the lost podcast hit the notification bell subscribe whatever you're wherever you're listening thank you so much around the world all our fans and all the support we appreciate you so much take care everyone raiders of the lost podcast is a mirror image production sound mixing done by jacob cosler opening music by chase jackson